Calgary Next with Tara McCool and David Wallach is brought to you in part by Calgary Economic Development. Calgary is the choice for the world's best entrepreneurs, embracing technology to solve some of the greatest challenges. Good morning. Our guest today on Calgary Next is Craig Squag, the President, CEO, and the Director of Olympia Trust Company and the Executive VP and Director of Olympia Financial Group. Craig was recently appointed also as the President of the PCMA, the Private Capital Markets Association of Canada. Good morning, Craig. Good morning. Good morning, Tara. Good morning. I guess both of you were in BC enjoying the vacation while I was working, so <laughs> how was it with all the smoke that uh, BC is covered and covering us? Well, the smoke's here too. There's just the actual fires are there, so it was... Uh, you know, I, nice weather, but happy to come home to Alberta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you feel for all the people, of course, dealing with the fires and worried about evacuations and all that. So yeah, it's, ten- it's tense there. Yeah. You, know, you can tell it, it, any moment things could change, right? Yeah. Um, how do we have evidence that you were working? <laughs> I was, was talking about say. it off, off uh, air. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Craig, you know, I mentioned that you just recently became the president of PCMA, the, the uh, Private Capital Markets Association of Canada. And I think that not a lot of people know about what PCMA stands for and what, what does it do. Can you share with us? Well, there's a, a sector of the investment world that's outside of the norm, I guess you could say, where people invest in private companies, companies that don't aim to get listed on a stock exchange, uh, things that aren't mutual funds. You know, these are companies that have real life businesses. Uh, some of them are small businesses in their community. Some of them are real estate funds that are, you know, up to a billion dollars. They just choose not to go public because of, you know, multiple reasons in, in the public markets. So the rules governing that world are very different than the rules governing the public world. So there's a kind of association of uh, people involved in that marketplace and uh, that, you know, work with regulators, work with the public and, uh, you know, kind of advocate for that space and, and try and make it bigger. Um, these are, you know, licensed financial advisors, legitimate companies. So I was appointed chief renegade of that group uh, about a year ago. We had a change in management and, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's went well. We have a magazine, you know, we have conferences, the same things that you expect out of normal associations. And uh, it's kept me busy. Why is that a passion of yours? It's obviously something that's taken you into a lot of avenues in your life. And uh, why is it so important to you? It really goes back to how our company was started. You know, my father raised a couple million dollars as a private company. You know, it was a five person enterprise to start. Now we employ, you know, a couple hundred employees. Never raised an additional dollar since the the first two million that was raised. Um, So we employ a lot of people. Um, the investors in it that put in their initial $50,000 have a million dollars worth of shares today, depending on what we trade at today. Like now we are a listed company. They get over $50,000 a year uh, in dividends on their $50,000 investment. So I've seen private companies evolve into public companies. A lot of companies that are public don't really have any business being public. They're too small. There's a, a real reason why companies start private the real reason why some of them stay private. And that's just a space that didn't have anybody standing up for it. It was getting beat up by regulators, bureaucrats. It, was well, it wasn't well understood. So somebody had to take that step forward. And a number of people have, and I'm just, uh, just one of them doing that. So When uh, I started uh, Triumph Real Estate Fund, um, I didn't know much about the exempt market. And it's kind of, I would say, still a surprise to me how many people don't know about the exempt market? How does PCMA can help promote that complete big 
market that is out there as a possibility for people to invest that they don't even know that it exists? Well, it starts, I mean, it starts with the rules. Traditionally, the rules that have been in place have had it so that, you know, investing into these type of deals was really reserved just for the wealthy. So there really wasn't a point in letting the public know about something that they didn't have access to. So the big part has been actually getting the rules evolved up until probably five or six years ago in Ontario, only the top one to 2% of income earners and net worth people could invest in a private company unless it was like their uh, brother or their uncle that was running it. Otherwise the rules just didn't allow it was you don't have enough money to invest in something that even though it could be really good. People forget that Apple started out as a private company. Mm. You know, typically everything starts out private or at least it should. So then the, the marketplace has evolved. You know, there's been a lot of misinformation. There was a lot of bad stories in the private markets. A lot of people lost a lot of money because there were proper rules governing it. You know, there weren't registered advisors that actually had to make sure it was a suitable investment for somebody. So, I mean, I think the, the good education there is now, now it's up to the industry. It's up to the advisors to go out and promote it. It's up to advisors that aren't registered in the private markets to actually look at it, try and understand it for what it is today, not for what it was 10 years ago. You know, they're, a proper portfolio probably has a little bit of everything in it. The old 60-40 doesn't work anymore. Right. You know, interest rates are historically low. People can't retire on interest rates today. But at the same time, they shouldn't throw all their money into something that just because somebody said it'll earn them 10%. You know, that doesn't come without risk. So there really needs to be more holistic education. And I, I think a lot of that even starts just at the government. Because um, it goes down to, you could say a lot of people don't understand what a private market or an exempt market, those words are interchangeable, security is. But a lot of people don't understand why paying 12% on a car loan is a bad idea. <laughs> so, and that falls to the government. I mean, I go back to, and I, it's been a while since I've been in high school or university. But You're still young, buddy. I am. I still, I'm still, I won top 40 under 40 only two years ago. Yeah, so exactly. I won't tell you how old I am today, but I'm not eligible anymore. <laughs> um, the, uh, the education system teaches me about calculus. I can tell you how often I've used that in, uh, you know, the last 40 years, right? Or the last 20 years. None, right? Radius and circumference. Not a big thing in my day to day, but money. I didn't learn anything in high school. You know, I, yeah. I, I just didn't. And even in university taking finance economics, uh, I learned about public stocks for about a day <laughs> and just not to age myself, but my teacher brought in a paper, folded it out and showed us how stocks moved in the last day. Cause there weren't phones and stuff like that. It was a physical <laughs> newspaper. And you know, I, I work with people and, you know, I employ a couple hundred people and some of them ask me questions that are, that are astounding that I'm like, you actually work in the money business and you're very uninformed about money, you know? So I think the government at all levels, federal, provincial, municipal really needs to start teaching people about money because as we go on, it's easier and easier to find something where you shouldn't put your money, whether that's a high interest loan, whether that's, why is it a bad idea to buy a house with no money down? Is homeownership really in your best interest right now? Or is it in the mortgage broker's best interest and the realtor's best interest? You know, um, Maybe expand on that. There might be somebody listening right now who's saying, wait a second, I want to hear more about that. I'm looking at buying a house. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm not, a, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a realtor. I'm not a mortgage broker. And I have good friends that are those, so I hope they're not <laughs> listening. But, and there's lots of great ones out there. But some people, they're just, what are their underlying motivations? The, a mortgage broker's motivation is to, broker mortgages. So they follow the rules. And if somebody qualifies, they qualify. A financial institution's incentive is to lend money and earn interest on that money. You know, and when the Canadian government's backstopping every single deal that's out there, there's really theoretically no risk for anyone. But I run a trust company. 
that would make me probably pretty good with money. Correct. I have lost money on every single real estate I have ever purchased 100% of the time. Really? Because a lot of times you hear from different pundits, it does, you know, there are varying um, opinions about this, but that real estate is a safe bet. No, I should correct myself in saying that when I've invested money with other people who invest in real estate, it's went well. When I myself was telling my wife, well, let's sell our super high priced house in Mackenzie town because the market's hot. Let's go to Airdrie. Nobody there's figured out that uh, real estate's on fire. Well, then we overpaid in Airdrie. <laughs> and then it was, oh, well, look at that house down the road. Let's, let's flip this one and buy that one. And then it was, well, that didn't work out so well either. Now the house that we're at, when we bought it, I said, I really hope you're happy here for 15 years because something's going to happen in the market that's going to cause this to drop. And that's, of course, what happened. We all know what happened in Calgary. You know, there's not a, a huge market for high-end residential homes right now. But we love our house and it is our home. So the price of it doesn't matter. But here I am a guy that I get low, low, low interest rates on my mortgages because I have very good credit. I've got good money to put down, but I haven't done well in real estate. There's always this, you know, FOMO, fear of missing out, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and so everybody wants to get in and buy a home now because this narrative that maybe in five years you won't be able to afford to. Same with crypto, right? Well, right. Yeah. And I've I've bought some of that at the wrong time too. (laughs) I can tell you lots of ways to lose money. Um, Maybe we'll talk about it after the commercials, how to lose money uh, by Craigslist. Yeah, exactly. Um, So tell me when that break's coming up. But I, I just think that people really need to take a sober second thought, sleep on things, right? Like, do you, what do you really need you know, what's in your best interest? Because sometimes the idea and the visualization of something is probably pushing you into something that you shouldn't necessarily do, you know, and just chasing ideas because you read something on Reddit or you read something in the paper oftentimes re- turns out in disappointment. Well, we're with Craig Skog, uh, President and Chief Executive Officer of Olympia Trust, and we have to take uh, Craig a commercial break. You know, someone has to pay for this show. I understand. And uh, following the commercial, we'll talk about how Olympia Trust grew from local Calgary into a nationwide company. And I promise I'll be more optimistic. (laughs) Calgary Next with Tara McCool and David Wallach is sponsored in part by Canadian Western Bank. Obsessed with your success. It's time to partner with a bank that sees the world the same way you do. Visit cwbank.com. Calgary Next with Tara McCool and David Wallach is brought to you in part by Calgary Economic Development. Calgary is the choice for the world's best entrepreneurs, embracing technology to solve some of the greatest challenges. Okay, we're back with Craig Skog, the uh, president and CEO and director of Olympia Trust Company and the executive VP and a director of Olympia Financial Group. And we could go on and on and on with all of the things that are uh, after his name. And that's 40 boot below 40, right? So he well, got all this when it was like... A, top 40 under 40 yeah. for Canada. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just a couple of years ago, he mentioned. Just just a hair ago. Just a yeah. short yeah. while ago. <laughs> yeah. So Craig, as you mentioned, your father started Olympia Trust. And we all know that the financial hub of Canada is Toronto. So why stay in Calgary? Because the financial hub of Canada is in Toronto. So like most you know, people that are born and raised in Calgary, my dad was in the oil and gas business selling private company flow through shares. Um, back in the day, you know, he'd raise money from 50 people and they'd go and find a well and see how they did. But there was a really good tax incentive back then that even if you didn't find a well, you still actually covered your losses through tax savings. 
which is good because he earned the nickname Dry Hole Ricky because he couldn't find a lot of oil. <laughs> so the tax, but the tax plan worked really good. But it was a the tax plan that involved some RSP strategies, and they've since changed those rules because it was too good. But he needed an RSP custodian that understood private company shares that they were in fact RSP eligible in a lot of cases. And a couple of the companies here that he was using ended up going broke as, as happened in the eighties and so forth. And he ended up out East uh, at an institution and was banging his head against the wall for like a year, trying to explain to an Eastern based financial institution, why the private company shares of an Alberta based oil and gas company were eligible to be held in a registered plan. They just, they didn't get it. You know, they didn't get the, just being in the East, they were focused on large public companies, mutual funds, traditional flavor back in the day. And there just really wasn't this urge to help an Alberta based company or any, you know, like not to say that they shied away, but it, it was something novel. They didn't understand it. And there wasn't, you know, for 50 people opening an RSP account, there wasn't an incentive. So he said, I'm going to start my own. I know how to raise money. I know the rules. I'll start my own. So it was actually kind of started to fulfill a need for him. But then as time grew, a few people reached out saying, Hey, can I put this private company share in there? And it was, well, you have to get a, go to a lawyer, go to an accountant, find out if it actually works. It's allowed to be held and give us some documents. And then it was, well, we can start charging a little fee for this and a little fee for this. And then it just kind of built. And then uh, I started uh, right after university. And, you know, another thing that can be held in, in RSPs, which we're seeing a lot of these days is mortgages. So you can lend somebody money as a mortgage, as long as they're not related to you. And you can actually hold a mortgage against somebody's Canadian real estate in their RSP. And we're seeing a lot of that these days because again, people are having challenges meeting the new qualification criteria put out by CMHC. So they maybe borrow money from somebody privately for a year and earn their credit worthiness, and then they just flip it to a bank. So then there was a kind of these mortgage brokers doing these private mortgages, and it just grew and grew and grew. And then as the marketplace evolved, registered advisors came involved into the space. It's just kind of grown. So now we have about 100,000 customers in the RSP division. We do other things as well. And it just seems to be growing in the I want to talk about the other things because, um, you know, even though you you said uh, your father started it, you have, uh, I got to know you in the last few years and you have an entrepreneurial mind yourself. And now with, you know, exempt edge and you are driving force behind the exempt market and making it a national kind of uh, group. Where do you see kind of us is in Calgary and Alberta going forward in, in growth and, and in potential of economic kind of prosperity? I think that Alberta has always embraced the entrepreneurial spirit. As much as we have large companies here, a lot of these large companies started small because Alberta has embraced them in terms of, you know, capital formation. You know, the ideas have been a little more entrepreneurial here. The Alberta Securities Commission actually has been a little more forward thinking than the average regulator on understanding that businesses need access to capital. We don't have the large banking infrastructure of the East, right? So we have to kind of rely on ourselves, support each other. So there's that supporting local businesses mentality here more than there is other places. So I, I think that's just that like our business has been built around the small to medium sized business. We have some larger customers, but our kind of vision has always been to service those people that are underserviced. You know, like people want, everybody wants the whale in the financial services world. Everyone wants the giant customer. Nobody wants to service the little guy. But if you can do it really efficiently, a lot of little guys can make up a big guy. And sometimes those little guys become big and you really want to have been there from day one. So it's that long-term term vision. And I think that's something that Albertans have never been scared of that. Like I know when I started working at Olympia, my contract to this day, I don't get salary. 
It was, if you can grow this, you're going to make some money, right? But you have to grow it, right? And I think Albertans are, are, are they're more prone to taking those risks. You still Maybe. see that. You still yeah, see that like, today. Like Albertans are tough, mm-hmm. right? We'll eat craft dinner or not even branded craft dinner and, uh, <laughs> and, and deer sausage from hunting for years, which is what I did with my brother. Um, Cause you hope that there's a point where you're going to get some success and you're willing to forego that certainty for years. You see it for years with entrepreneurs, hoping that one day they're going to hit that critical mass and become successful. And I think that's the, there's a startup environment here. And I'm not talking just, I'm not talking fintech startup. I'm not talking building an app startup. I mean, that's coming here and we're seeing that, which is great. But there's also that guy who I don't want to go work for somebody. I want to start my own business in that area because I think I can do it better. And that's, I I think, something that needs to be fostered here at the university level. Like I've done something with SATE um, because I was a graduate of there before I went to university. Um, Encouraging, showing actual entrepreneurs how to raise money. Like go, how to go raise money. What, are, what is a prospectus exemption? And that's maybe what we should be home of is showing entrepreneurs how to be entrepreneurs, not workers. Why are we educating and training people to go get a job when we all know just about every single sector, financial services not excluded, there's going to be less jobs as technology improves. So why don't we teach people how to be entrepreneurs and go create jobs and foster that environment? So what did you do at SAIT? Uh, in terms of the course? Yeah. Well, I worked with their... Um, their uh, business department on developing a, a course that kind of, it's a capsule within a course in their business management program, showing entrepreneurs, uh, you know, the very prospectus exemptions that we work under in the private capital markets, how to raise money from your friends, family, business associates, how to uh, do an offering memorandum, if that's within the rules, how do you, how do you properly govern and what's proper govern, corporate governance looks like when you're dealing with investors? How do you report to your investors, this, that, and the other? The idea is the the next Rick Skog, my dad, maybe we don't want him to go work at the Royal Bank. Maybe we want him to go start Olympia Trust and employ 200 and some odd people. You know, But if you don't teach him the tools, he's not going to be able to do that. How many ideas have been lost simply because the guy didn't know how to get the capital for it? And the banks aren't going to lend an entrepreneur money unless he's got a good net worth, right? And that's fine. That's not their role. But where does that guy go? It's funny. I was chatting with, uh, did a conference in June where Brett Wilson and I were on a panel and we did our rehearsal before, which was basically just us complaining and moaning about regulations and (laughs) bureaucracy and so forth. But but we, we, we talked about the sadness that is the dragon's den and the shark tank that you have these entrepreneurs, a lot of whom have really good ideas, but they don't know how to get money. So they end up going on television and begging and pleading and trying to cut deals with people that are dubbed dragons and sharks. And some of them are nicer than other, but isn't, isn't that a shame? Like, and I know some of them are going on there cause they get the press coverage and then right. I can say they were on shark tank, but some of them are legitimately people that have good ideas and they have to go on and beg for an equity investment in their company. Cause they don't know that the rules are actually there for them to go get it themselves. So I think it's, you know, bestowed upon governments and regulators and the AFC has done a good job of this again, but a better job than elsewhere could be done. Show the entrepreneurial community that they're allowed to go raise money. Teach them how to stay inside the lines of how you report to your investors and your stakeholders, that you can't use the money for whatever you want. You have to use it for what you said. And you know what? Let people take a risk. Democratize the ability of people to invest their money, whether it's their RSPs, their cash, whatever. Not As long as it's suitable, safe, it's not their whole life savings, let them be the fuel that kind of fires the entrepreneurial community. Because again, the banks aren't going to do it. 
There's only so many government grants to go around. So why aren't we using our money to back our people? I think that maybe the government, the Alberta government should consult with you on the curriculum going forward well, for junior high and high school. I maybe think the Alberta government's got more problems than that right now. So I'm not <laughs> there gonna... are lots. Do we have time for one more question? I think one quick question and you have 20 seconds to answer. Oh, well, that's not fair because I always like to dig into the culture stuff. But how do you, 25 years ago, you started this company. Now you've got 200 employees. How do you maintain that culture over 25 years? I think there's, to be fair, you don't, you know, it, it gets watered down to some extent. You, you can't think that you're going to retain that same element of, uh, intimacy when you're, you know, the company's 10 times, 15 times bigger than it was when I started. Like there was about 20 people. What you do though is the best you can. And you keep an open door policy that everybody from the receptionist up to your, you know, my vice presidents can come talk to me at any given time if my door is open about anything. And you engage them and ask them what they think directions we should be heading in. How would they make this process more efficiency, you know, more efficient, just foster, a culture of openness and where communication and collaboration is encouraged. And that's where we're, you know, notwithstanding the challenges that this pandemic isn't over, we're really happy to be back in the office because this is a very, it's very different seeing somebody face to face than over zoom. Well, our guest today was Craig Squog, uh, Canada's top 40 under 42, two years ago. And uh, if you're an entrepreneur there or you have an idea and you want to know how to raise money, call Craig and he will help you. Craig, thank you so much for being our guest. It was a pleasure having you with us. Thank you very much. Thanks, Craig. Calgary Next with Tara McCool and David Wallach is sponsored in part by Canadian Western Bank. Obsessed with your success. It's time to partner with a bank that sees the world the same way you do. Visit cwbank.com.